Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's the will of God in Christ Jesus that we will give thanks in all circumstances, even when those circumstances tell us from a worldly perspective that we should be doing the opposite. But let's give thanks this morning as we worship the Lord. Let me pray to open our time together. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks because we know that you are a God who is constantly at work in this world. You are fighting evil. You are renewing and reconciling this world to you, to you through Jesus. You are using your church, the people of God, to, to carry forth your plan and your purposes in this world. Lord, you are blessing us. We have reason to rejoice in Christ. I pray this morning that you would open our hearts and minds to that truth, that reality. We have come before you this morning to worship you, to take our minds off of this world and, and give you our full attention this morning. And so, Lord, we desire to do that now. And we do it all in the name of Jesus, who we have come to worship together as one body. Though we are separated by distance, we are united as one body in Christ. And we worship you this morning. And we do it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. All who are thirsty All who are weak Come to the fountain Dip your heart in the stream of life Let the pain and the sorrow Be washed away The waves of His mercy His deep cries out too deep We sing
I mean, joyful. Would you, would you say that you're, you're, you're full of joy this morning? What if I told you that one of the blessings of being in a relationship with Jesus is that that joy is available to us at all times? That, that joy is ours in Christ Jesus, no matter what our circumstances are. Joy may seem like a scarce resource in our day and age, in our culture, in our world, but in reality, it's abundantly available to us if we know where to look, right? If you know where to look, what to attend to, what to be thinking about and mindful of and attentive to and invested in, that joy is available to us all, and it's available abundantly. But apart from God, Joy is a scarce resource. It's a happy feeling that comes and goes based on our circumstances, based on what's happening around us and what's happening to us. That joy is something that that is a fleeting experience. And yet, it's not so for those who are in a relationship with Jesus. That's the gift of this new covenant that Jesus established in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Remember when, when he was celebrating uh, the, the, the last supper with his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's the, it's the fulfillment of a promise of God that says, I will reunite us. I will reconcile the world to you, uh, to me in Jesus Christ, my son. And when he does that, What he reconciles us into is a new life where all the blessings of God are available to us right then and there at all times. We have the the blessing of joy, one of the the, the fruits of the Spirit, available to us at all times through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at the life of Paul. We're going to kick off this series called Joyful. And we're going to look at someone from the Bible who, ironically, had lived through some very difficult circumstances and yet was able to be filled to overflowing with joy. Listen to how Paul speaks of his overpowering and overflowing joy in the midst of affliction when he's writing to the Corinthian church. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. And then he says this, in all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, where the Philippian church is, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting, with, uh, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by, co- by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. I mean, notice where Paul's joy is. He's actually able to say, I am overflowing with joy. Why? Or or I should say, where? Where is Paul's joy overflowing? In the midst of all their affliction. In the midst of what he's experiencing, in the midst of his circumstances, Paul is able to rejoice in the midst of his affliction. Not when the affliction subdues, right? Not when it's kind of past and he's like, whew, I can relax and be joyful now. It doesn't come as a fleeting memory, as like a memory of the good old days, right? And which kind of gives him warm feelings as he reminisces on the past. He has joy in the midst of his affliction, And this is a joy that's available to you and I, to all of us, in Christ Jesus. 
And so again, we're, we're going to start this new series called Joyful because I want you, I want us as a community to be a people of joy in the midst of our circumstances. Not, not because our circumstances tell us particularly that we have, have reason to rejoice in those things. You know, many of us have lost jobs, we're sick, or we know someone who's sick. We have family members who are struggling right now with their health. Our world has been turned upside down. There's very little in our world, the circumstances of our world, that gives us reason to rejoice. And yet, I want us as a people to focus on the truth of God's word, which says that we can rejoice in all circumstances. And we'll do this together over the next four weeks as we survey uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. Paul writes to the Philippian church, a church located in Macedonia, a Roman colony which had much reason for civic pride, much reason to, to, uh, to boast in their earthly circumstances. Paul writes to a church that was planted there by himself to encourage them, to celebrate and give thanks for them, and to pray for them. And the reason why we're looking at this church is because I believe that in the midst of his circumstances, Paul exhibits to us in this letter the joy that he has in Christ. A joy that allows him to say things like, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. And I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say Rejoice. These are all things that Paul said to the Philippian church. And, and these are not words of a defeated or afflicted man. They're, they're words of a man who's afflicted and yet overflowing with joy this morning. So, if you will, open your Bibles. We're going to be reading in Philippians chapter 1 today. We're going to look at the first chapter. I'm just going to survey it. There's a, there's a lot more in this chapter than we'll have time for today. But, but I want to give us a taste of the joy that Paul points us to in his letter to the Philippians. So go ahead, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, and let me read for us from uh, verses 1 through 5. Just the first five verses to kind of give us an introduction into the passage. Paul says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of, the part, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Let me give thanks for God's word before we go any further. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for what you have said and done, the ways you proclaimed and revealed yourself to us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for calling your church to be witnesses of Jesus, to go forth proclaiming what Jesus has said and done in his life and, and ministry, to reveal your word to us through men like Paul and Timothy and Titus. Lord, bless us this time in your word. Though we are separate, unite us in your truth. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned, Paul has a deep and affectionate love for the believers in Philippi. He loves this church. This is, this is a very special letter he's writing to a very special people. You look at some of his other letters, and, and he loves them as well, but he's oftentimes writing to correct some error that's going on or to, 
to, to, to deal with false teaching going on in the community. Not here with the Philippian church. Here, he's writing to a church that he loves and has a deep connection with, a deep and affectionate love for. And so I want to give us a few key notes to reading through the book of Philippians together. I, I think these are things that as we read, they'll, they'll become keys to unlocking the truth that we see in Paul's letter. First of all, I want us to understand that Paul is writing this letter from prison. There's some debate as to whether or not it's a house prison, a home, you know, being imprisoned in his home, or actually in a jail somewhere. But, but either way, it's not pleasant. He is imprisoned at home. He is a prisoner, and that says something about his, his social identity, how he's identified in the society. That it's somewhat of, of an outcast according to the worldly standards. I think it's also interesting for us to note as we read through this letter that we're reading a letter of a man who's been quarantined to his home, right? And yet he is strongly connected to the body of Christ, specifically here in Philippi. And so note that as we read through the, the, the letter to the Philippians. Secondly, I want you to notice how Paul identifies himself in the verse. I mentioned that he's a prisoner, yes. And that does have implications on how the the society views him. But notice how Paul identifies himself in that first verse. He says uh, that Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, I think English translators have, have been generous here because Paul uses the Greek word doulos or douloi, the, multiple, or the, the, uh, the, the plural version of the, of the form, which literally translates as slaves. Paul identifies himself as a slave of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't imagine too many people who are eager to identify themselves as slaves. Even now, if you were to say that you were a slave of Jesus, I think that there would probably be some sort of emotion going on inside of you that sits funny, that, that doesn't feel comfortable, right? We don't like the idea of thinking that we don't have autonomous authority in our own lives. And yet, the reality is Paul celebrated that. He was happy to announce to the church that he was a slave of Jesus, Now, I think that's important for us to think on and to remember what perspective Paul is writing from as he writes to the church in Philippi. Thirdly, I want you to notice the theme of fellowship throughout the book of Philippians. I I, I want you to notice this word, which is actually very important to the overall theme of Philippians. He uses a word koinonia. It's a Greek word, which means community, which means fellowship. But, but much more than a place in our, coffee, uh, in our church where we go for a cup of coffee and some snacks and to catch up with people, koinonia is a partnership. It's a partnership. It's, it's, a, it's a community in its deepest sense. There, there is a depth of relationship here in koinonia that Paul's drawing attention to. In the secular world, it's possible to have business partnerships, business koinonias, Right? But within the church, within the family of God, the koinonia, the partnership, is around living the gospel together, living as a gospel community identified by the tenets of the gospel. We are a partnership in Christ Jesus. It's a partnership to love and to care for one another. It's a partnership to build one another up in maturity. It's a partnership to see the people of God become a gospel community, right? It doesn't happen overnight. It happens as the people of God partner together in becoming a people that reflect the image of Christ. 
And so the only thing that one needs to become a part of the gospel community is faith in Jesus Christ. We, we don't say, hey, I've got these valuable resources. Will you let me become a part of that community? No, the only thing we come to the community with is a faith in Jesus Christ. Everything else is supplied by him. And, and so we partner in that kind of community. And this is a community that Paul's drawing our attention to here in the, the book of Philippians. Kids, uh, if you're coloring, just pay attention for a, a moment uh, here because I want to talk to you specifically. I think, uh, I think about working on a project with one of your siblings. How often do you get into an argument with one of your siblings as you're working together, right? You say, well, no, I have this idea for how we're going to build this Lego tower. And no, 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 I have this idea for building a Lego tower. But think about a time where you were both so excited about, about doing something together that you guys just worked perfectly together. No fighting. You were helping one another. You were encouraging one another. You were, you were saying kind things. You were, you were making the, the, your brother or your sister feel more confident that, they, that they're contributing to the project. Right? You think of building a fort outside. You know, you, you think of putting on a, a movie uh, or a, a, a musical for mom and dad or, or, or making a family movie together. All these times where you had fun working together without bickering about, you know, paint colors or carpet colors or anything like that. Right? This, this is the idea of, of a, a, a relationship, a partnership where, where we're working together for a common purpose. And, and that common purpose is not just the outcome, it's how we live together. It's how we work on that project together. It's how we support one another and encourage one another. I can imagine you kids working hard together to, to build that fort, to, to put on that musical, to, to, to produce a, a film or a movie for, for, your, for others. It's a lot of fun when we're partnered together toward a common goal and a common purpose. See, the kind of partnership that Koinonia reflects is a unity that was the opposite of what was seen in the culture. I think that our world's concept of community, even today, is different than the culture that, that the gospel represents, right? I mean, you, you, we see commercials right now that, that remind us, you are not alone, CBS Sports. We see Hollywood actors and actresses and musicians uh, you know, coming on TV and saying, you are not alone. There's something unique about uh, sharing in, in our suffering together, right? That we do feel united in our suffering. I remember back in 2013 when the marathon bombings happened, we were living up in Boston, and, and, and that, that, that theme, Boston Strong, was birthed in the, the unity of suffering, but the question I ask, I think we have to ask is, what happens when that suffering changes or even goes away? What unites us then? What is it that, that, that still unites us as being for one another and with one another and, and loving and caring one another? We, we, we give testimony to how some of the, the things that we experience in those times of suffering, we wish were still ongoing, and yet they haven't. They've changed you, 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 I won't even talk politics, never mind. But the point is, we, we can be united in something greater than our suffering. That is what I think and believe koinonia represents. A partnership in something greater, bigger, more influential than our suffering. Living in the gospel. I would say along with Paul and with Jesus that living in the gospel is true partnership. Partnership that, that endures and lasts and, and bears the fruit of what God desires for us to be. 
This gospel living, it's living out the truths of Jesus. It's living out the truths in Jesus. It's living out the truths for the body of Jesus, the, the church, and seeing it become fully mature in Christ Jesus. This is what gospel living is. It's gospel living that calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to to weep with those who weep. It's gospel living that challenges us to consider others' needs more important than our own. It's gospel living that calls us to love one another, to admonish one another, to encourage one another, to spur one another on to maturity. See, I think true joy is found in living out the gospel and living it out in partnership with others who are in Christ Jesus. See, I think Paul loves the church at Philippi. He, he loves them very much. In fact, in, chapter, or in verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, I hold you in my heart. And he, he prays that their love would abound more and more. Now, Paul is, is a man's man. He's a tough dude. Right? He's endured a lot of pain, and yet he uses such deeply affectionate language here for the church in Philippi. If you uh, turned over to Acts chapter 16, you'd read about how he planted the church there in Philippi. The, the early people that he planted the church with, the, the, the converts to Christianity that, that became influential in building up the church. And it's representative of the diversity, the, the differences we see in the body of Christ there in, in the church at Philippi. There was a rich Asian fashionista named Lydia. There was a poor Greek slave girl who was, who, who was possessed by demons. There's, there's a, a blue-collar jailer who, whose identity was wrapped up in the things that he did, his career, his job. So, so much so that when his job was threatened, he, he considered killing himself. See, this was Paul's church planting team. This was, this was the people that God has provided to, to build a church, to plant the church and to make it strong. You know what? It was different than anyone's expectations, and different is good in God's kingdom. <laughs> the Holy Spirit gave new life to each person, breathed new life into them, gave them a place within the church, and he did so in the context of their personal needs. The slave girl needed deliverance and healing in her inner person. And so Jesus met her there. Lydia needed someone to speak to her, her heart and help her understand the things of God that she'd been hearing and listening to. The jailer needed someone to, to open up his eyes to see that his identity could be found in something far greater than his job. See, I think we need to notice something. Only the gospel has the power to do this. Right? Only the gospel has the power to transform our minds, to transform our hearts, to, to give us a new perspective to see not only ourselves and not only God, but the world around us through gospel lenses. Only the gospel can meet people in the circumstances of their, of their lives and give them new birth and unite people across race and gender and, and, and social status and, and, and background. And not only do that, but then build a strong partnership together. Only the gospel can do this. Together, though they were apart, they could live out the truths of the gospel. And they did. And the church grew. And then we see their world transformed by this gospel. Their community transformed by them living the gospel out in partnership. Living the gospel out together allowed them, and allows us, by the way, to let our lives be walking billboards for the power of the gospel 
to transform, to change lives. In, in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 9, Paul says this. He says, it is my prayer. Right? He's praying for the Philippians now. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent, so that you may prove to the world, to others, what is excellent, not in your own efforts, but that the world could see the gospel doing its thing in your life and prove to them how powerful and excellent the gospel is. And he goes on, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and praise of God. See, Paul's prayer is not that they would try harder as Christians. Paul's prayer is that they would be committed to this partnership in such a way that the Holy Spirit would, the Holy Spirit would do the work of proving to the world around them the power of the gospel to change lives, that the, the Holy Spirit would make them, uh, would bear more fruit in their lives, more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more goodness, more faithfulness, more gentleness, more self-control. All the fruits of the Spirit. Paul prays that the Holy Spirit would bear more fruit in their lives. And by doing that, the world can't help but notice how excellent the gospel is. See, this is what the gospel has the power to accomplish in a community that is partnered, koinoniaed, together. See, Paul believes in the power of the gospel. Paul believes in its transforming power, not just because he hopes it can one day do something. He, he believes in the power because he's seen it do something, transformative in the church in Philipp, at Philippi. And so when he's writing to this church, he wants them to understand that though his circumstances may seem bad or bleak, not, for them not to be discouraged, not to get lost in the, in the mindset that, oh, he's, he's a prisoner, that he kind of loses his ability to preach and proclaim the gospel. He's saying, no, 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 don't focus on that, right? If the gospel is so powerful and we believe it is, then focus on how God is using me even in my imprisonment. See, if you have any question at how, uh, how Paul's uh, been transformed, I think you only need to look at his circumstances and, and his perspective on his circumstances. See, in those days, in the ancient world, when you are imprisoned, you kind of lose some of your status, right? You're less trustworthy. You're, you're kind of more of a social pariah. Like, I don't want to be associated with him anymore. He was imprisoned or he is imprisoned. So, so for all the, the believers in Philippi, they're thinking, Paul's lost his platform to preach and proclaim the gospel, Right? But I don't think that, that that is necessarily true. Not only does Paul glory in being called a slave, as we read in the beginning of the chapter, Paul glories in being imprisoned. What he focuses on is not so much his chains, but on what God is doing in the midst of his chain, chains. See, he celebrates the, 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 the good that's coming out of his imprisonment. Look at, look at verse 12. In chapter 1, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now think about your life for a moment. Think about the circumstances of your life for a moment. In the good and the bad, could you think of a time, could you think of a way that, that what feels like bad circumstances God has used to advance the gospel? That God has used so that others around you can see the power of the gospel at work in your lives, giving you hope, a confidence, a peace that passes understanding. 
Somehow, some way that, that people can look into your circumstances and hear you uh, live out the gospel in the midst of these circumstances. See, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Being imprisoned has given him a new platform. He's preaching and proclaiming the gospel to these guards. Right? He, his boldness to preach to them has emboldened his brothers to go ahead and, and continue to preach and proclaim the gospel truths. See, for Paul, he sees this not as bad, but as good. He's seeing the, the gospel of Jesus expand and grow, the kingdom of God expand in the midst of his circumstances. Even when there's other preachers trying to disrupt Paul's ministry and steal some of his followers and steal some of his audience, Paul says this. He doesn't get upset. He says this. Listen in verse 18. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul is psyched. He's happy because Christ is being Proclaimed, he doesn't care uh, what other preachers might, how other preachers might be drawing attention away from him. What matters most to him is that Christ is proclaimed. See, Paul, this is an example of Paul practicing what he preaches. It's Paul living out the gospel. He's able to rejoice in all circumstances. He 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 can make uh, he can take lemons and make lemonade, right? If our goal is for the world to know the power of the gospel to change lives, then our lives can show the power of the gospel in good times and in bad times. Andy McQuitty is a pastor in Texas who, in 2009, was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And he shares a story in, it's an excellent book, by the way, it's called Notes from the Valley. I'd encourage you to pick up the book if you haven't already. And he shares the, his, his experience and in, in the circumstances of fighting cancer, of how God challenged his faith and grew his faith, and, and how he was called to live out the gospel in the midst of those circumstances. In, in particular, he tells the story of, of a time he was given a gift, a pager, a beeper. And, and it was a method where people from the church could, could send him quick notes throughout the day to let them know that they were praying for him, that they were thinking of him, that they loved him. And, and it was a, a good encouragement to him uh, in the midst of his, his battle. But one day when he was receiving chemotherapy, the pager kept going off to the point where the nurse goes, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? And, and he goes, oh, yeah, that's, that's just my church. They're, they're just letting me know that they love me and they're praying for me. And, I mean, that was, that was something this nurse hadn't experienced yet in, in her caring for uh, patients who had been fighting cancer. And, and, but then Andy says this. He goes, you know, is there any way that we can be praying for you? In a time where the attention should have been on him as he received treatment, the gospel allowed him to turn the attention off of himself and onto her and say, what is it that you need? What is it that we can do for you? This is the gospel community, caring for others, considering others' needs more important than our own, right? In these circumstances, in the midst of some pretty nasty circumstances where, where it's a very real reality that he would be facing death, Pastor Andy was able to rejoice in the gospel, still being powerful, still accomplishing what, what God had intended it to do. And he was able to celebrate his partnership with the community of faith, even as he sat in a, a, a hospital bed receiving chemotherapy. See, Andy and Paul... 
they both face a real possibility of death. Paul's in prison, but, but mind you, it's not just like a timeout zone. When, when someone was in prison, they put you there in ancient times until they can figure out what to do with you. And so Paul's in prison facing the very real reality that he may die. Look at verse 21 in our passage. Paul says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, Paul's torn between going on living amongst the Philippians and living among the people and proclaiming the gospel or or dying and being with Jesus. He's fine and he's at peace with either option. To live is Christ. To live is to fulfill the purpose for which I was created, to proclaim Christ, to to build gospel communities. It's not to pursue the, the American dream to achieve it and to retire in peace. It's to proclaim Christ always. But then, to die is gain. He says, this works for Paul. You know, if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus immediately. I'm good with that, right? Paul is able, because of the gospel, to look beyond his circumstances and say, I'm good with either option, Lord. Both are good. Both are winning scenarios in my mind. See, what gives Paul such joy in the midst of his circumstances then is his firm grip on his purpose, which, by the way, is the same purpose for us as a church, the same purpose for which we are partnered with together to proclaim Jesus, to, pro- to proclaim the power of, uh, of the gospel of Jesus, to transform lives, and, and to live out the truths of Scripture together, to, to, to do so in a partnership that is koinonia at its very core. See, the good news about Jesus is powerful. The gospel is powerful. There's no sin so great that Jesus cannot forgive. There's no habit so strong or so stubborn that Jesus can't wash away and and, and replace with himself. There's no past that's too stained that Jesus can't clean and make new, whiter than snow. The gospel doesn't categorize us based on our past, based on our our sins, or or doesn't... uh, kind of categorize us or divide us up based on our gender or our, our, our social status or our riches or our, our ethnicity. The gospel unites us together in one church, living in pursuit of one purpose to proclaim the power of the gospel to transform lives. See, church, this is a great purpose to live our lives for. The, you know, especially in this time that we would be reminded that no amount of bad circumstance changes our purpose and our existence. We have reason to rejoice in all circumstances because our purpose continues to be the very same. When stores are shutting down, when, when people are being relegated to their homes, when, when their whole life of normal is gone, our normal, which should be partnering in the gospel community living, has not changed. It may look different, but it has not changed. I can rejoice in all circumstances. I, you know, the gospel allows us to say with Paul, as we partner in this gospel together, to say with Paul, I can rejoice in all circumstances because I have learned to be content in all circumstances. And I can face all circumstances because Jesus gives me strength. It's this gospel that when we are in the muck and the mire of life and our circumstances are bleak, we can call to memory the gospel truth that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is why we can be filled to overflowing with joy that comes from God. Church, let's be 
partnered. I'm not saying, like, let's get together and have a good time together. Let's truly seek to be partnered together, koinonia together around this common purpose of, of being gospel communities, living out the gospel truths, proclaiming the, gospel, the power of the gospel to transform lives. And let's rely on that source of joy that comes from only him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you that you are powerful, that your gospel is more powerful than we can imagine. Lord, I pray for those in our midst that that we would uh, have eyes to see you, to look at you, to, to embrace the truth of the gospel and to find joy there. Not to look at our circumstances, but to find joy in Jesus Christ alone. The good news of what he has accomplished this new community, this new fellowship in Christ Jesus. Give us joy today, Lord. Make us aware of the joy that you have given us. And may that be the thing that characterizes the state of our souls this morning, the rest of the day, for the foreseeable future, Lord. May we be a community that lives in the joy that comes from you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.